Distance is the state of our world right now. The pandemic has created a physical separation between family units living in the same town or city. We've been seeing expertise shared around bridging that gap between family members in a myriad ways. Whether it is parents with young children driving to their parents' home and waving from the front yard or delivering home-cooked meals to their doorstep or hugging them through a plastic sleeve. All of which can still be done if you live within drivable distance from your family. But there is a large group of people whose challenge of distancing is even more intensified because they are geographically cut off from their loved ones and in some cases like us need a passport to go see them and still be 6 feet away upon arrival. We're talking about ourselves and we're talking about millions of other immigrants. Hi, I'm Divya and I'm Utkarsh. And you are on the fourth episode of the Trunk Call with us. A perennial long distance with loved ones is part of living as an immigrant or an expat. It's most likely the hardest trade-off we make when we decide to live abroad. For most of us, and you'd agree with this, our weekends or early mornings on a weekday or bedtime uh, on weekdays includes a call to our parents and siblings who are in a completely different time zone than mm-hmm. us. While we live through that international distance every day, the lockdown in all our respective countries has made the distance even more apparent. In a in a pre-corona virus world, I would confidently tell my mom that I'm a flight away even from this end of the world. Sure it could take me more than 24 hours to reach her. But just knowing that I could make that declaration without worrying that I had um to you know uh, worry about the the flight infrastructure being there in place it's not a declaration i can make that easily anymore the irony is that while our concern for the safety of our loved ones has doubled at this time our access to look out for them is even more cut off and this isn't just our story but it is the story of our contributors of this episode today uk It feels to me that we are living the pandemic lockdown almost thrice. One uh is our own individual experience in our respective city and country. Mm-hmm. One is the experience of our spouse, you know, you for me and me for you in our case. And one is the experience of our families. It means that we are hooked on to the news from three different countries who are all by the way managing this pandemic in a very different way because of different socioeconomic challenges different national leadership styles so what has been your experience of living this from three different dimensions um as much as i hate to like make this comparison or really put this on a pedestal i feel like the political climate and the action versus inaction of each of these governments that us and our families are living in definitely has a deep effect on the psyche of myself a few and for our families and pretty much everyone around us i mean you can tell the difference just by talking to the people in us canada and india as to what their take on all this is mm-hmm. i would say us's response has been probably the messiest of the three countries <laughs> <laughs> but the other the other thing is that at least the people i'm surrounded by over here i think most of them know what needs to happen so there's been a kind of a measured and uh, a more sensible approach from individuals out here 
Um, right. Yeah. In Canada, I would say the government's response itself has been so measured and balanced that I think like they've done a very good job in communicating what restrictions are there and what they mean for the people. And I think that people have have understood that really well and are following it with clarity and uh, understanding that this is all trying to work towards uh, a day when things can go back to normal. I think uh, in contrast to these two places, India's messaging, I don't feel has been the clearest. Like, I don't think the government has done as good of a job in streamlining the messaging behind why the country is on a lockdown and how this affects people and when does all this uh, seem to be ending. Um, Yeah. And I feel like India out of the three places definitely needs the most streamlined, the most thoughtful and the most clear messaging and um, response in place because out of the three countries, uh, India definitely has the most vulnerable population, uh, given that most of the people don't even have the socioeconomic standing to properly go through social distancing measures and be able to afford that luxury of being under one roof with a job in hand. So yeah. this this is just a long-winded way of uh, for me to say that I feel like uh, between the three countries, I hear the most confusion in terms of where things are and where things are going from our parents when we talk to them, because mm. they are as much uh, in the dark about when the lockdown may lift, if it if it lifts, as we are about India. So that definitely lack of communication or l- lack of clarity exists, and we hear it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say that between the three nations, India is still in the most severe lockdown and um, each nation understands its own specific challenges. So from a Canadian perspective, the lockdown has begun to ease up. And especially when you talk about the province of Ontario, where I am, um, the it's a bit of a back and forth right now because social distancing is kind of the the power to social distance or the responsibility to social distance is put back out on the people where it's become a little more voluntary. You know, here's like, we've been doing this for three months. You know what the drill is, you know what you need to do, social distancing, wash your hands, wear a mask and all of those things. So it's become a little more voluntary and on the people right now. Whereas in India, I would say it's very mandatory and it makes sense because, you know, we're a country of hundred, sorry, we're a country of 1.3 billion people multi-language country, anytime you have to, you know, uh, run a mass awareness campaign, uh, that takes a lot of time and effort, uh, especially to reach the grassroots. Um, And with the way, with the speed of the pandemic, I don't think that uh, leaders in India have been able to sort of really achieve that optimum level of dealing with things. I know that a lot of good work has happened at the state level and not so much at the, right. uh, you know, at the union level. And yeah. uh, I can speak specifically to uh, the condition in the state of Maharashtra, 
Bombay is really at the epicenter of the pandemic uh, right now. And to me, that mirrors a little bit of the the condition in New York. Uh, but I have to say that the Maharashtra government has been doing a great job, at least as far as I know on the date of this recording, in terms of uh, contact tracing. And uh, that has been one of the strengths, um, I would say, in terms of the, you know, the managing the disease in India, that even though we're such a populous country, uh, Maharashtra has really done a good job at contract tracing, at fumigating our spaces, at making sure that people are cordoned off and there are zones allocated to uh, certain uh, geographical areas. And, you know, you, you really like you can't even travel domestically uh, without uh, permission. And so that to me is like a next level of uh, extremity when it comes to social distancing and, and quarantine. But I think that is a very specific solution to India. And what that means for our families is that what happens at the political level also becomes quickly personal because they have been in a lockdown for about two and a half months now. Uh, we're probably completing three months. and. Uh, mm-hmm. Given the fact that, you know, you and I still have some uh, outdoor access, restrictions are loosening up a little bit. We're we're trying to make sense of what this new, you know, air quotes, what this new normal means. We're only trying to make sense of what it means right now. But we also have the access to go out, of course, within maintaining our responsibility of doing that correctly. You know, our parents can't afford that uh, just yet. And I think you you really are seeing that everybody is a little too much on the edge and it uh, it eventually, I think what happens to our loved ones uh, also affects us, even though that might not be our individual experience living in a different country. But the fact that our loved ones are going through that experience becomes our experience as well. And so for me, that is interesting that something that affects the politics of a nation that is so far away from us becomes our problem. And to me, that that's a very interesting part of living this long distance with our loved ones through the pandemic. Yeah, I wonder if people in India are going to be wilding out in in the similar manner that people in Toronto recently did as the restrictions are lifted. Oh my God. (laughs) I think the crazies, uh, the, the brand of craziness is very different in these three different countries. And we're getting to see that. We're getting to see that, what that craziness means on the streets uh, from the perspective of three places. But yeah, I, you know, like I said, I mean, it's uh, it somehow the responsibility of doing right by uh, yourself and doing right by your uh, civilian duties really comes down to the person. And uh, not everybody has a uniform sense of uh, civic duty. And so it's going to be really tough for governments everywhere to get people to go back to normal uh, because, you know, we've been hearing this, that the restrictions may be eased off or the lockdown must be ending, but coronavirus hasn't ended. And uh, that has that that is going to be a message that will bear repeating um, in the near future for sure. But, you know, uh, coming back to uh, what the what really the topic of our um, discussion today is uh, we are both really excited. And I know I keep saying this in every episode, I am excited. So I'm going to say that I am, uh, but I would say that this, um, this sort of bears that uh, special, that specialty and excitement because we uh, ran a short survey amongst 
our listeners and you listen to us. So thank you uh, for taking that survey and, and uh, sharing your responses, your experiences, your anecdotes with us. Um, the survey was taken by everyone who listens to us who is in the exact same position uh, as we are, which is um, with our loved ones. That is, they are in a different uh, city or country and then that their uh, families or parents um, are in a different country. We also had our parents contribute to this UK. Uh, so I'm really excited to dig into those responses as well. And, uh, you know, we're, we're well adjusted into this quarantine that now we have to adjust back to what living outside the quarantine means. But, uh, you know, at this point, uh, let's pretend that we're still in uh, a strict quarantine. How has uh, the change in uh, your communication with family back home uh, evolved? I mean, has your cadence of being in touch with them increased uh, compared to the pre-pandemic long distance? So it's interesting that I know for a fact my frequency of communication with my family has definitely reduced a bit during the pandemic or in the last three months. Calls to my mom or dad that used to occur on a daily basis uh, have now shifted to more of an alternate day schedule, hmm. uh, partly for reasons I'd mentioned in the first episode, which was my commute used to be the perfect time to talk to family. And since that doesn't happen anymore, I often jump straight into work without taking time out for calls. And I'd say like, like we've been experiencing this now uh, in recent weeks. Our calls have definitely become more of group calls than my daily or and, and and I'd say like my daily or alternate day check-ins have become shorter considering there's not a whole lot going on in anyone's life right now. Sure, there is a big aspect of checking in on your family's mental state and well-being during these times. But that also, I don't feel like that's uh, a conversation that that happens every day or that can happen every day because those can be time-consuming conversations. So yeah, I think the daily ones or the alternate day ones are definitely shorter. On the other hand, though, I would say like I feel our conversations with pretty much everyone have gotten less mundane and tad bit more meaningful. Interesting. And I, <laughs> let me elaborate a little bit on that. I am a repeat offender of multitasking, especially when I'm talking to people. And driving while talking to your loved ones is part of that. I've been called out one too many times on sitting on my computer and talking to people, even when I'm on video. So now in this stage, I feel like I've made it a concerted effort to change that a bit. So I think like now that when I talk to people and since it's definitely more on video than it used to be, the conversations have become a bit more engaging and involved. And that's where I also feel like carrying that cadence on your daily calls is not possible as it does take a lot more effort. So yeah, I, when you're facing someone and talking to them, what I'm trying to do now is to make it a point to face the camera <laughs> instead of having my phone on the side while I'm on my computer uh, and just listening to the conversation and not actively participating in it. So I would say, yeah, the quality of the calls have definitely gone up, even though the frequency and the quantity might have gone down. But I know like that's that's how I have been communicating with family. Uh, do you want to speak to a little bit of how that's changed for you? It's interesting 
there's so many things I want to say, honestly, to that uh, little monologue you had there. Um, and just before I forget this, let me be the judge of the fact if you have become more attentive on uh, video calls with uh, <laughs> family, because I think you still are a repeat offender of that. But okay, I mean, if I have to give you some credit where it's due, I would say that every now and then there is some eye contact with humans versus with a different wow. screen that you're working on. But, uh, but yeah, I think uh, baby steps, UK, baby steps. It's happening. You just have to try harder. Uh, but it's it's interesting you mentioned that your cadence of communication with them has gone down because uh, most of uh, our contributors who uh, took the survey identified with their cadence going up. Uh, and I would say that I identify with that too. Uh, I mean, for, for reasons of our own, I would say that you would assume that since almost everybody is home right now, uh, we have our time. Sure. I mean, we have obligations and work duties, but then all of the time that we spend is indoors in our own personal space. So how we manage that time to connect with our loved ones is come back to us, right? That, that power of access, uh, power of virtual access has come back to us, which is why I would think that the cadence has gone up. For me, uh, particularly, I would say, I would uh, even pre-pandemic connect with my mom twice a day. And I know that seems excessive to some, but that's just um, how tethered I am to, uh, mm -hmm. you know, my mom and uh, how important uh, it is for me to just make sure that she's not only, you know, had a good day, but she's had a, she's had a good morning and she's also had a good night. And it doesn't have to be necessarily long drawn out calls, but I definitely need to check in with her. Um, via, via call, uh, but also my texting has gone up. Usually I, um, I'm a little lax about texting. Uh, I just think that it takes me much longer to get back, uh, to people on text, but yeah, I began to proactively check in on her even outside of those, uh, obligatory two calls a day. So I would say that, yeah, all in all, um, even pre pandemic, uh, you know, things it's it's just the cadence has uh, gone up but it's interesting to hear that you've had a different experience uh now i want to uh, switch gears a little bit because we also asked our contributors uh, a very uh, pertinent question um and and i you know we asked them to answer this uh, both from a lockdown perspective but also um you know imagine that you are still in a pre corona world or we'll get back to a few or we'll get to a future where things are normal and, but your long distance won't really end so how do you manage to care for your loved ones uh, sitting in a different country and uh, how do you plan to continue doing that uh, in the future and there are a few interesting uh, themes that came from the responses that we got um primarily the responses were you know, the one way that we care for our families uh, sitting so far away from them is by uh, just sharing pictures with them, delivering flowers and chocolates uh, just to sort of make their tea, but also sharing recipes uh, with our family, exchanging uh, recipes uh, with them to give them ideas for cooking. So essentially just uh, swapping ideas uh, and, and just uh, tangible little um, you know, cutesy little things. Uh, and the other theme that came out from that was, and I'm going to quote one of the contributors here, is the way I care for them is just by keeping in touch and uh, and also scolding them to follow guidelines during this time if they're mm -hmm. not. But it's just more 
communication. So really pulling them up for not taking care of themselves as they should be. And to me, you know, that is very uh, thematic of this, um, this way of caring for your loved ones is through tough love. And how is it that we were exercising this concept of tough love in a long distance? Uh, that, that was very interesting to me. The other response that we got was, um, and there were a few responses in the same sort of uh, concept. Uh, conceptually, there was the same uh, response. Uh, this was having a local proxy for checking in on my parents, you know, just keeping in touch uh, with them, saving their sort of local emergency contacts was also part of this uh, idea. And and I, I, I quite like that because that's also my way of uh, caring for my mom, you know, uh, just, I mean, I'm not necessarily hounding the people that are in proximity to her, but I know that if I need to reach out to them, here's a select group of people that I can always tap into if I need uh, for them to go check in on her. And I think just having mm-hmm. that having that list keyed in on your phone is is such a security blanket for me personally. So I completely relate with that. And and finally, and this is my favorite, again, like something I relate with, something I do, and I and I can promise you, UK, we've all done this at some point. Uh, you know, one way to care for our loved ones from so far away is shielding them from bad parts of your day or mood or just shielding them from grim news in general. And I love that oh, because yes. we, you know, we we live in a time where bad news is peaking. And, and mm-hmm. when bad news becomes personal, it directly affects the mental health of our loved ones. And we want to you know, we want to keep them away from feeling that way because, you know, we don't know what's going on uh, with their particular day, with that, with their mood, with their context, whether they are a little too vulnerable to, to hear that news. And at the same time, we think that, you know, protecting them from this, uh, from this news is, is, is an act of love. I don't know. Do you relate with mm-hmm. that? Do you think you've, you've, I'm sure you've done this. That is okay. So I, I'd like to clarify one thing is I haven't read through all the responses. Divya has curated all of this. So I find that to be a answer that's very close to mine because I think given the gravity of the situation, everyone's well aware of the severity of this thing, right? So, uh, in my opinion, what we need the most right now is more positive reinforcement, even if it might not be a hundred percent based in reality. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what I mean by that is say, whenever mom and I talk, even though we are both aware of the far reaching impacts of this, we still talk about future plans of meetings, outings and spending time with each other and with extended family as well. Like yeah. my parents now living in Delhi, uh, has their extended family out there that they're just not able to meet. And that's definitely brought them down as well outside of the fact that they're not able to do live their regular lives. So I think when we talk about those kind of meetings and those kind of plans, it really gives back some hope of a better day that's around the corner, even if the restrictions extend again. I think that glimmer of hope definitely helps keep their spirit up. And that, in my opinion, is very important right now, given like you had mentioned earlier, there's a lot of negativity and uh uh, news that might impact people in not the best way. Yeah, and 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 that's what I'm saying. And and you know, when there's one there's one kind of bad news that we know 
exists in the world. We read about it. It gets forwarded to us. And then uh, there is bad news that suddenly uh, affects us directly. It becomes personal. It becomes right. our problem. It becomes, uh, you know, it happens in the family. It happens in friend circles. It happens in, in close proximity groups that we're part of. And when that happens, it takes a direct toll uh, on, on ourselves. And, uh, in, you know, how is it that we can emotionally care or emotionally caretake for our loved ones sitting so mm -hmm. far apart? Um, is not only, uh, you know, what do you say, is, is not only an art of um, exhibiting emotional uh, character or intelligence, but it's also uh, a very consuming task because, you know, when you kind of cut off the source of bad news at yourself, you're really the last link in the chain, you tend to put a lot of pressure on yourself. And I, I feel that uh, because I've done this a few times and I know that my mom does this way too many times and I have to keep telling her that, no, you know, you have to speak your heart out. You have to, like, I have to really nudge things out of her. Not that she's not expressive, not that she cannot speak her mind, but this is a conscious decision of uh, just not revealing the things that can, uh, you mm -hmm. know, that, will you know will affect uh, your child or in our case affect our parents and i think when you sort of uh, take that responsibility on yourself you tend to deplete your own mental strength a little bit and then i think everybody is undergoing a little bit of that emotional and mental depletion at the moment and adding that uh, that emotional caretaking uh, as a task to yourself can be very consuming so we all have to find um I don't want to get preachy here, honestly, because I'm not the best person at uh, doling out this advice. It's something I go through every day. It's my own personal struggle. But, uh, you know, I have to constantly remind myself that if I'm depleted, I have to have other reservoirs of seeking that strength and motivation and inspiration back. Uh, so I don't think that we can, you know, either of us can be this all pervasive, all knowing all, you know, completely strong and, and invincible selves where, we can absorb everything that we, you know, that happens around us, but then it could not affect us. And I think just knowing that in spite of us doing this, we are not invincible ourselves is, is very important to acknowledge. So, you know, mm -hmm. when I, you know, when I, when I was drafting this question and I, you know, kind of put it out there through the survey and we received this amazing mix of responses it just uh you know what it makes me uh, believe and think is it's really interesting to see how our love languages that is the way we show we care has adapted not only to the long distance but also adapted to the restrictions that come with this time that we live in and none of us can, you know, none of what we're doing virtually can come close to the real thing. You know, it can't replace our, our physical place in the lives of our loved ones. But what alternative do we have, you know? And when I see the ideas that were shared by our contributors, it just brought so much inspiration to me to see how everybody's sort of dealing with this in such powerful uh, and strong ways. But then we, you know, we also, the next question is very interesting because we contrasted this a little bit and we asked them, what is the most exhausting part of managing a long distance with your family? That was our question number two. And I would say that the answers fell in two categories. The first is no surprise to us at all. 
the most exhausting part of managing a long distance with anybody, especially loved ones, is logistics. You know, whether it is time difference, whether it is scheduling uh, calls, or it is a bad connection. You know, there's reception issues, the Wi-Fi is down. Hey, I don't even have electricity, you know. The, <laughs> the service is off. So it could be anything. And what can, you know, we've discussed this in, in our first episode, UK. Something so basic can actually ruin the only uh, method you have to remain connected to your loved ones, especially at this time. So I, I don't even want to say logistics because just the term logistics makes it sound so unimportant. I think they're essentially lifeblood and oxygen to us right now. Um, you know, mm-hmm. having 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 the technology infrastructure and and having um, the time at our end to do this is so important to continue maintaining those bonds. And then the second uh, theme that came out of this was um, exhaustion. So when I say what is the most exhausting part of managing a long distance with your family, a lot of our contributors interpreted exhaustion as uh, frustration. That is frustration for not being able to do more for their loved ones, whether it was physically or emotionally during this time. It's definitely, you know, uh, we can't fly out. There's definitely that uh, operational issue over there. But then there's also that um, emotional bandwidth issue, you know, that I'm, I'm exhausted because I can't do more than I really want to do. Do you do you relate? Uh, I'm I'm sure you relate to both of them, but do you relate to any more uh, any one of this more? Yeah, um, I have a long and a short answer. I'll start with the short one. <laughs> Timing. Um, I think it's it's hard with uh, you, our parents, and our brothers all living in different places and time zones. Finding the time to connect in a meaningful meaningful way is definitely the hardest part for me. And it's even harder feat uh, to have all of us on a single call at once. So that probably is a more obvious uh, point of like frustration that I have in all this. Yeah. But I I I kind of relate to the the not being able to do more in terms of like comforting or helping our families uh, in a more meaningful manner. Um, yeah. Whether it's by showing more support or whatever that that may be i feel like like you were saying we we are all kind of in a position where we're going through this thing and sometimes you have to play uh the role of somebody who's taking more responsibility than the other person and then helping them through but obviously while keeping in mind that you are keeping yourself and your needs in check as well Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wish there was a better way for us to support. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of losing. I'm not able to uh, come up with the word right now. But there's a psychological impact one can have on their loved ones uh, when they're next to them. That obviously we don't have the luxury. Of. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I agree with it. I think you know, if if I may complete what you're trying to say, I feel that while we're trying to be there for them virtually, there is only so much you can do virtually, right? There is only so many ways you mm-hmm. can ask someone ask someone to be strong in so many ways, right? Like you yeah. might exhaust yeah. you might exhaust all the synonyms that exist in um in a dictionary, 
by telling them to essentially do the same thing every day. And I think it's those uh, tropes and platitudes that tend to get very uh, tiring and they tend to run its course also because you're really not telling them anything and, new and refreshing and lose uh, and lose and lose its meaning in the long run as well yeah and and lose its meaning uh, but then you know if you're essentially in the same room as them in the time of need um then your your way of of um just uh, providing your your help and by help we mean we're going to get into that help part of things in the next question so i don't want to sort of uh ruin the insights at this point but you know whatever that help might be you're you're able to just do so much more on the fly improvise when you're there in person so i think we're all hitting a wall with being there for our families virtually and at this point when we're at the two and a half month mark of a quarantine uh, and a long distance quarantine we're all realizing uh, how how little resources we have to to do what we need to do for our loved ones uh, you know and um, the the most interesting part is uh, exploring the responses in this question was that not one person skipped answering this question or didn't agree with it and i think that to me was was the most telling because the fact that everybody answered this tells me that it is universally agreed upon that managing a long distance with your family is exhausting that was definitely a conclusion mm-hmm. that i that i came away with and it's really no surprise that doing that can take a toll on you both physically and mentally and you know you need to have an end in sight right um, and right now none of us for for all reasons that exist in the world right now none of us have an end date to when this struggle is going to end uh and i think doing something without a deadline can be very challenging because hum- as humans we work with with timelines there isn't a timeline to right. this so that 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 adds a whole different level of complication to uh the relationship but our, our next question is 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 very interesting and telling in itself uh the question was in your long distance what do you feel most unprepared about in being there for your family even outside of a lockdown and it's very uh it's very interesting because we we were speaking about this uh in uh the the question right before uh a lot of responses were uh, in this category where um our contributors said that they they felt that they were not able to help their families as much as much as they wanted to uh you know whether um and and that that feeling of not being able to help was coming from this place where uh, we're not able to help as much as our family needs but we're only able to provide the help that we can realistically provide in in our uh, limitations right now and so they mm-hmm. they really I, I, and i think it was really this this feeling of inadequacy that was uh, palpable through these responses and i can't relate to this more uh from a personal level as well uh, because there is just uh, so much more that um i would i would like to do or even if i'm not doing those things i just need to know that i have the ability to do it because i am i you know i have the i have the means to do that and i think our, it's it's that uh, universal inadequacy that we're feeling that is uh, quite evident through um the responses as well and then the other thing that uh 
you know, uh, our contributors felt unprepared about uh, was emergencies. If I'm expected to be there overnight, uh, if something happens, and I'm going to read some quotes. Um, of course, I'm not going to give away any names. We'll be giving an end credit to all our contributors towards the end of this episode. But I'm going to read the two quotes that uh, kind of stood out to me. One, it is difficult to just get up and go to India. Visa approvals are probably the single most challenging issue to navigate around. Work and taking time off it, not so much. The second quote was, if something happens to a loved one, will I make it back there in time? Luckily, outside of a lockdown, I normally would be able to arrive at least within 24 hours. This kind of hits the nail for me. And it's, it's, it's something that I, I spoke about when the episode began. It's just that I would, um, I, I would make these claims of, you know, uh, being able to be there and, and from a very genuine and heartfelt place that, you know, being able to be there on just a simple calls notice. And while I still want to do that, I don't have a damn flight that'll take me out there. <laughs> and I think right. it's, it's just being cut off that's making the distance much harder. Mm-hmm. You know, this is such an obvious thing to think about because when you ask about these kind of uh, long distance challenges, the two things that you just talked about are the most common. Yet there are so many layers to it that it's not just like a surface level set of challenges. Uh, when your family is not feeling well or they're go- going through a rough phase or a transition, all you want to do is be there for them. And in recent times, Tavia, you and I, we have both experienced loss of a loved one in the form of our grandparents in the last year or so. Yeah. Yeah. And in that time, while we were dealing with the grief ourselves, you know that your parents are probably hit even worse uh, than you because they've just lost one of their parents. And how do you console them and help them when you're not even in the same time zone? Forget about the room. Like you're not even in the same time zone. And I I feel like it's a big challenge for me. And it was a big challenge for me at the time where I had to think critically about, you know, that one question, what are we gaining by living out here when we can't be there for family in such critical times of need? And Again, like I said, as obvious as this answer might seem, that aspect of not being able to be there and keep in mind, even though we say like we can get there in a certain amount of time, guess what? When something as big as this happens, it's those few hours that are the most crucial. And for you to not be there to be able to help and support kind of puts you at at a great disadvantage because those highly critical hours can make a lot of difference. Yeah, I I think what stands out to me from the first quote that I read, um, and this has been the story of our um, life in one way or the other. I'm not saying that it's kind of, it's just been an undercurrent of our uh, immigrant life, right? Visas, visa mm-hmm. approvals, uh, visa timelines, uh, visa expirations. And we always have to live within the timeline set by the validity of our uh, visa uh, that uh, that directly dictates our existence in this country. 
and i think when when that particular uh, uh little piece of paper takes precedence in your life such a high precedence in your life uh you you feel the most conflicted because on one hand there is the you know there is the the hard work and the sacrifices that you and your loved ones have made for you to come out to a different country and make a life here that is challenged or rather that is threatened by um you know a, a visa not being in place or a visa expiring at the same time you're conflicted because on the other hand there is uh, your um obligation or responsibility of going and being with the same family who need you at this time and uh, i think this is this is such a, this is such an immigrant uh, pain point that you feel like your your life can be uprooted uh, with a single um, rejection on paper and you're going to have to start from scratch and i know a, a, a lot yeah. of people a lot of people listening to us understand and live firsthand through that experience of how transient uh your life in a different country can be and how everything comes down to your status that you are not a citizen mm-hmm. and you're something else you're something else that comes with a deadline and and i think it's it's such a it's such an important um filter to make that uh, decision and believe me it's so hard to set uh, you know in again i'm not trying to i'm not i, I don't want to get into a very icky place where i'm uh, putting someone out but for uh, natives that haven't lived outside uh, their home country or their birth country this is a very hard concept to understand because even the loss of something like this seems very manageable so what if you lose your life in a country that you've been living in for so many years also what if um you know our uh, visa expires there's always your home country you can always come back and we know those options exist but there was a choice that we made that came from so much of hard work so much of financial investment so much of sacrifice that put us where we are that going back to our home country will be will mean revoking all those choices we made to get along to where we are today and it doesn't just mean giving up your location residence it means giving up on all those choices you made to get to where you are like i said i think at the beginning of the episode it is it is a trade off you make as an immigrant uh, when you live away that you're always going to be in this position and i'm and i'm so glad that uh, you know somebody decided to sort of uh, respond with such an honest answer to this but yeah uh, definitely i would say that emergencies and overnight assistance is something that we all universally feel unprepared for no matter how prepared we might be or how organized we might even be it's just something that uh, always catches us uh, unawares and then the next question i'm going to move on this is our second last question um is so uh, we asked uh, our contributors what does the light at the end of this tunnel mean for you now this was a little open ended the when I, uh, when i wrote this question the tunnel meant either the end of a long distance in general uh, whether you're in a lockdown or not mm-hmm. or light at the end of this tunnel where the tunnel means uh, the end of a global lockdown where we're resuming uh, normalcy in terms of uh, transportation access so which means uh, you have the same uh, previous access to go see your family and the choice to do that is 100% yours 
so we have again like the responses are in two categories one um the reigning answer was a near future location agnostic reunion and a reunion is the light at the end of the tunnel for most of our uh, contributors and that is also true for us um i can speak for both of us when i say this uh you you mentioned it um, slightly in a couple of minutes ago when you said that you're already planning even though there isn't a date or time or uh, you know a mm-hmm. specific uh, plan to this yet but you we, we, i think we're just we're yeah. honestly we're fantasizing about uh, a time in the near future where we can all get together and uh, it just doesn't matter um whether it's in india it's uh in canada no more ussss you're you're in the last sort of uh, run with the us for now uk um and then the mm-hmm. the other the other uh, light at the end of the tunnel was uh doubling down on in person quality time and so to me this was like okay the tunnel uh, really means the lockdown so it goes back to what you were saying where you know then your communication free your communication frequency may not have increased but your quality of communication your meaningfulness has definitely increased so i think there is a collective understanding that we all want to be more mindful about uh spending quality time and not just uh be in the same room but then you know just like while away your time coming through your phone uh so definitely doing that right. um and <laughs> and yep. and i think you know there is there is definitely a feeling of relief and redemption that will come from these long awaited reunions like i i can't like i i have so many ways that i'm imagining this uh, reunion now whether this is a family vacation or it's a simple trip back home and you know we're just hanging out with each other without exploring a new city or place but whatever it is it is going to feel more redeeming than any other trips back home have felt mhm yeah for me um uh, i think a reunion is definitely going to be that it's going to fulfill that particular aspect of this want that i have right now is to be with my loved ones and my family but i think more than that uh the thinking about this thinking about the transition where at least our parents get to spend a little more time with us out here out here not in hmm. india out yeah, here yeah <laughs> yeah so so they can be a little more in our lives now consider the fact that like you and i will now be settling into toronto uh our brothers are out here and basically almost all our immediate family except for our parents lives out here. yeah so I just hope that that phase of our lives can start now where our parents start to spend more time out here with us. Yeah. Um, definitely. Pretty much as so, and I, what I'm hoping for is like that that phase starts pretty much as soon as we have some semblance of, of normalcy once this thing starts to go away. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, we need to make this uh, reunion a two-way street very soon. Yeah. And uh, hey, that way that way we won't be spending all our vacation time in india either so that's a win win yeah yeah so i looking forward to that that's going to be a whole new um, experience our parents uh, bo- both our parents just hate long flight uh, durations they just they kind of like oh, I have to sit in the flight for 17 hours to get out to the other end of the world they just hate the experience of that so they just want the easy way out uh, they just want the easy way out that we we come out no. to them and uh, 
uh, and we still get to spend time. So the final question um, or the parting question that we had in the survey was, during these difficult times, what makes you most proud of your family or a specific loved one who's away from you? And we asked this and it was very heartwarming to read all the responses. And again, like there were three or four themes that emerged from the feeling of uh, uh, pride that we experience for our loved ones. The first one was uh, living alone or living solo at this time. A few of our contributors um, definitely uh, experienced that, but I am going to raise my hand because I have a personal champion who is doing this at this time. I don't, I know I, you probably must have guessed it, but I'm not going to say those exact words. She is such, um, such a trooper for doing this by herself and alone and, um, and hats off. I mean, uh, I'm really proud uh, of everybody yeah. who is uh, living through this long, uh, through this quarantine, um, all by themselves, because, um, it's hard. It's, it's hard to do this in general, and it's much harder to do this when you're by yourself. So definitely I'm proud of you all. Uh, the second thing that people are proud of, uh, of their families at this time, especially when it comes to the elders in their families or their parents is the rapid digital upskilling that has happened. Uh, and I love mm -hmm. that because all of our lives have transformed into, uh, a, a, you know, just virtual living. And so I, I, I remember our parents just, you know, postponing their need to uh, learn certain digital skills and now it is no longer an option. And I love that everybody has kind of upskilled, albeit out of need. Uh, but even then, I think uh, just the fact that they face their technological intimidations and overcome that, whether it is, you know, uh, hosting a Zoom conference. Uh, and even if it is for just personal uh, and family needs, you know, just just hosting a Zoom conference or downloading a new app to be in touch or, you know, co-creating something on social media with uh, uh, their kids living apart. All of this just has required them to tap into a whole different uh, skill set. And that's that's quite impressive. Um, the other. So this is from one of our contributors. Um, and uh, it's a very special one during these difficult times. What makes you most proud of your family? So her mom is uh, on the medical front lines of coronavirus in India and has a very exhausting um, service in the ICU. Uh, she plays a very critical role in testing for coronavirus. Um, and uh, her daughter who lives out here in the U.S. is, is extremely proud of her mom uh, for doing this um, and will definitely... Um, you know, give her a shout out on our uh, social media. But um, it's 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 incredible that uh, one of our contributors' uh, parents is at the front lines of this uh, epidemic. And finally, 
people are proud of the fact that their families and loved ones have this innate ability to take uh, good care of themselves. And I think that is such an important thing. I think when we are able to take care of, care of ourselves, we do, we, we really uh, help our loved ones in a different country in, in such an unstated and uh, easy, like we make the lives of our loved ones easy in a different country when we take care of ourselves. And um, that is such a great service uh, and such a great way to show that you care by taking care of yourselves. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a big aspect, especially right now. Taking care of yourself, like Devia, you and I have been talking about this, like you need to do more uh, for our well-being now than we were doing even four months back. And have, seeing our loved ones, our families doing the same, I think it's a, it's a, it's a big blessing to have that, um, even though it's under the guise of the times that we're living yeah. in. Yeah. Um, it's a good overall goal to have. Yeah. <laughs> and I think when our families take a good physical care of themselves, of their health, of their bodies, of their diet, of their exercise and sleep, and they take good care of their mental and emotional well-being also. Um, mm -hmm. I know both of our mothers are so spiritual and, uh, you know, believe in um, strengthening uh, their emotional selves so much that... Um, they uh, are such positive beacons of uh, motivation and inspiration to us from a different country, you know, uh, keeping, uh, keeping your children motivated from uh, across the oceans is no easy task, but uh, mothers are, ch mothers are yeah. complete champions and troopers for doing what they do, um, no matter the restrictions. So my personal answer to this last question is probably not specific to uh the pandemic and the lockdown, but it's definitely benefiting a little more right now. And that is, uh, I feel like finally in the last couple of years, we've reached a phase uh, in our relationship with our parents where we have mutual respect of thoughts and ideas going both ways. It's no longer the uh, listen to my advice because I'm older kind of a thing. But rather, it's more about like we're really relying on our loved ones for some words of wisdom and they rely on us for guidance in some other ways. Uh, in that way, I feel like our relationship is a lot more symbiotic and it's definitely having a positive impact right now. As we all know that there's a lot of good and bad information out there. And it's not just about one person listening to the other, but like really understanding what's right and not and that that can come from anybody so i feel like that mutual respect in the relationship and that mutual understanding of we're we're in this relationship as equals is kind of a big big shift that's happened for me and i'm like really happy about that fact. yeah i love that i i love that very much because uh i think our our adult relationships with our parents have actually developed long distance because we've lived away since since mm -hmm. our uh graduate school time uh so we've we've actually been in that kind of an arrangement for almost a decade and we've come into our own individual adult selves also in that same decade um, and they've come to understand uh, a new version of us uh, uh, from 
from a different country and we've come to understand uh, who they were from a different country. So it's very interesting that that symbiosis has actually developed uh, in a long distance. Very well said, UK. I love that. And uh, it was really heartwarming to read all of your responses. And I want to say thank you for taking the time and sharing your thoughts and experiences and uh, your um, candid responses with us. It really enriched uh, the way we look at our own experience as well. And uh, it just brought so much dimension to long distance with loved ones, uh, especially in a global lockdown. All right. I want to end the episode uh, with giving a special shout out to our contributors today. Um, and I'm going to be reading out their names, where they live and where their families live. And in no particular order, thank you very much, Farana Sakloth, who lives in New York City, has family in Mumbai, India. Thank you, Vineet Postle, lives in Chicago, family is in Mumbai, India. Daniela Suarez lives in Lisbon, Portugal, and family lives in San Francisco, California. I want to thank Divya Sharma, who lives in Toronto, Canada, my namesake, uh, and has family in Manali, Himachal Pradesh, India. Uh, thank you, Tanvi Deshpande from Boston, Massachusetts, with family in Pune and Mumbai, India. Thank you, Viveka Rodriguez, lives in Toronto, Canada, with family in Australia and India. And finally, a special thank you to our parents. Thank you to my mom, Jayalullah, who lives in Mumbai, India, and has children in Toronto, San Francisco, and Phoenix. And thank you, Sapna Kumar and Uday Kumar, Utkarsh's parents who live in New Delhi, India, with children in Florida, Phoenix, and Toronto. We'll catch you all on the next episode. Take care and be well.